as we jump into our, our passage this morning and our sermon this morning, um, I thought we'd take a break from the current series that we're working through um, because of this important moment that we're in together right now. Uh, and we do this to seek guidance from God's word. Uh, we'll be back in the Old Testament looking at Samson next week, the wild man, another one of the Bible's greatest hits. But today I wanted to try to frame our response to the coronavirus in the gospel, both internally and externally and, and relationally. I know many of us are asking questions right now along the lines of, okay, this thing is happening, so what do we do? I mean, when we, we live in a time when schools and businesses and, and even public worship are, are closing for a period of time, when aisles at Target and Costco are empty, uh, what do we do to address the fear or the anxiety we feel or, or to address the fear and the anxiety that others feel? How do we care for and protect our families while being generous and loving to other people? What's the tension there? And when half the people we know are accusing the other half the people we know of unnecessarily freaking out, and that half is accusing the other half of irresponsible negligence, is there a specifically Christian voice to contribute to this conversation? If only God would give us some instructions here, right? Like some guiding principles, maybe some commands, just, just one or two to guide our next steps. That would be huge. Well, good news. You've already seen this coming. God has. God has given us guidance he, for this moment, for, for this season. Uh, there is an account in Mark 12 where a young man comes up to Jesus and asks him a very pressing question, a very um, appropriate question for our moment. And what Jesus says is the guide rails for us in our time as well. Let me read this to you. So Matthew 12, verses 28 through 31. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? What should I do? All right, same question we're asking. And Jesus answered, the most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. It, see, these dual commands are the center of the Christian life. Our response in the midst of every situation, this is the core mission of Grace Church that applies to every season, every scenario. So today, this week, this month, what does living out these two great commandments look like in our valley? This will not be the final answer or even the complete answer, but here's a start. All right, first of all, we're called to love God by trusting and worshiping him. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. When the world is clipping along exactly as it should be and during pandemics, the first and the greatest commandment, the foundation remains the same. This isn't just the spiritual or the pious place that we're supposed to start as good Christian people before we get to the really important stuff. You know, kind of like the token thing we're supposed to say before we really get to work. This is home base. This, this Worship is our oxygen. Faith is our unique power and our unique opportunity to receive the presence of Christ and the work of his spirit. 
Our, our orientation towards God, our love of him, is the unique thing that we bring to the table in this moment. So whether you're a Christian or not, you can share your stash of hand sanitizer and toilet paper with me when I run out, and please do, okay? I'm, I'm counting on you guys. Whether you're a Christian or not, you can share the best health practices and link to the CDC website on your email listservs. And whether you're a Christian or not, you can buy groceries for higher-risk friends who are choosing to self-isolate for a time. These are crucial practices in this moment for our community, and we're all in. But it's not unique to the church. Anyone can do that. What's unique to the church is that we worship the God who holds all things in his hands, who's never surprised by anything. He's never overwhelmed by anything. He's never afraid of anything. We worship the great physician, the good king, who will bring peace and wholeness to his world sooner than we think. We worship the powerful Savior who has conquered death and sin and disease and every other broken thing in this world that holds our hearts captive. And the first thing God tells us to do with every capacity we have, with our mind, with our heart, with our strength, with our soul, is to love him, love that God, enjoy him, receive his gifts that come pouring out of heaven because of the presence of Jesus in our world and because of the presence of Jesus in our lives. So before strategizing, before organizing, before fundraising, pause and love God. Love his sovereignty. Love the fact that he tells us that there's no sparrow that falls into the ground without God's knowledge, let alone diseases that spread in the world. God is not surprised. He's not bowled over. Love your dad in heaven who knows and cares and protects and guides with perfect power. Love the eternal hope that's available in Jesus, that though we suffer and groan along with the world, we don't grieve as those without hope, but we look to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, as it's written in the New Testament, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Nothing in this world can remove you from the security and the safety that we have in Christ. Love him for that. And then, and then love the God who holds out this promise to you, the promise of peace and calm in the midst of any storm. In Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Loving Jesus, worshiping God first, is the unique contribution we can offer in times of turmoil. Worship, it's not an abandonment from the world or, or from our duty or from our love of others. Jesus says it's central to it. it it's the basis of it and it's the fuel for it. Because out of the overflow of receiving and enjoying all the gifts of God that we have received, God says, go and love one another. Because Jesus continues, the second great command is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So here at Grace Church, in, in sort of our mission statement, we actually break this second part up into, into two parts. We say, love God, love one another, and then love the valley. 
And then the reason we do that is not because loving one another and loving the valley look drastically different in practice or because one is more important than the other, but so that these two impulses, to love in and to love out, don't get folded into each other and, and one or the other doesn't get neglected. So next, we're, we're called to love one another in practical care and spiritual encouragement. You know, another one of the unique things about the gospel, um, one of the unique riches that we have to offer this valley from Jesus is that we have this freedom to be able to love one another in individual and flexible ways. Now, this is what I mean. The, the Bible tells us that every individual is an image bearer of God, and everyone retains their dignity, their value, and their worth, despite a wide range of diversity. In other words, no two people are alike, but all people are, are like God. We reflect him, we image him in unique and special ways. So as we move into seasons like this of disruption, different people are going to respond in different ways and for different reasons. And some of its age, some of its health history, some of its risk aversion, some of its temperament or personality, we all have different needs and different opportunities in this moment. And we can honor those decisions by not judging one another's reactions whether risk-averse or risk-tolerant, and we can keep an eye out for individual, particular, specific needs in the church family. Because here's the thing, the coronavirus is not the only thing spreading right now in our valley. I mean, fear is spreading. Anxiety is spreading. Uh, financial difficulty will be spreading in the weeks to come for many people if it hasn't started already. Loneliness is spreading. As more people have to kind of isolate for their own safety, we already have a spiritually self-isolating culture in this valley. And as more choose to physically self-isolate for good and wise reasons, spiritual encouragement, it's not necessarily going to get easier, is it? It's probably going to get harder. So let's step into this moment with some intentionality and some flexibility as we care for each other. I was reading a an article this week on how we can sort of respond as Christians in this time, and this is what the author said. In the history of the church, over and over, it's been local households, extended family-sized outposts of the kingdom of God that have been able to most effectively mobilize care of the vulnerable in their midst and to reach out and care for the vulnerable around them. So in this time when large gatherings have shaped our imagination of what church is and means, and even more, when media and celebrity have colonized our imaginations and made us think that true influence and value is somewhere else, we have this window of opportunity to rebuild the foundation of real love and real care. A circle of people related to one another as brother and sister who know and are known, who love and are loved, and who move out in service to the world. Here's the point. We're suspending our public worship gatherings for a few weeks so that we can be part of the solution to slow the spread of the coronavirus. We believe it's our civic duty to help out in this way. We believe it's wise. We believe it's loving. But even though we're suspending our public gathering, we're not suspending church, right? We'll never suspend church because church is you and me worshiping our great God and loving one another, pointing one another to faith, and not to fear, encouraging joy and not judgment. Gathering in small groups for prayer, supporting our most vulnerable members, and extending these gifts of God's presence to those around us as well. Love God, love one another. Lastly, 
love our valley. There's something about times of uncertainty and times of anxiety that bring out the best in the church. I'm not saying we do everything right, far from it. But in a weird way, Jesus' church was almost built for seasons like this. It's in our DNA. I mean, the church began in uncertainty and smallness. The church has always thrived in uncertainty and smallness. It's when we get too big and powerful that we tend to go off the rails. Our sweet spot seems to be the margins, trials, and difficulties. I'm not saying I like this. I'm not saying I would have written it like this. I'm just saying that's what the Bible and history show us. Faithfulness in hardship has always been our calling. In his parting words to his followers, Jesus said, I've said all these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, trouble, difficulty, hardship, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, Christians from the beginning of the church until now have taken these words to heart and have lived out extraordinary lives of service in a compelling witness to God's presence and power in the world. The Roman emperor Julian was writing in the fourth century, and he was regretting the progress of Christianity because it was pulling people away from the state-sponsored Roman religion. So he referred to Christians as atheists because they denied the Roman gods. And he said this, atheism, Christians, the Christian faith, has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It's a scandal that there's not a single Jew who's a beggar and the godless Galileans, again, referring to the church, care not for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. See, the first Christians who saw themselves as the household of God in their cities, they didn't flee hardship. They didn't flee the plagues. They stayed, they served, And in his book, The Rise of Christianity, sociologist Rodney Stark develops actually a statistical argument that shows that it is the commitment to providing meaningful care to people stricken by illness by itself served as a major contribution to the growth of the church in the very first centuries. In the last two days, I've been on the phone and emailing with pastors up and down this valley. I've been asking for help. I've been offering help. We've been sharing wisdom and best practices. It may not always look like it or feel like it, but there is a unity here among the family of God, the different households of God's global family that's real and that's tangible. We really are connected. We really are one body, and we really were put here to collectively love and care for our neighbors. What makes Christianity compelling, it's not winning theological arguments, it's not out-virtuing one another, it's showing up in people's lives in ways that are redemptive, generous, sometimes risky, but always loving, bringing the presence of God's love and grace to a needy world. And as the needs increase, so do the opportunities to witness to that love. So over the coming weeks, more of those opportunities uh, to serve our neighbors are going to make themselves clear. As we learn about avenues to love our valley, we'll keep you posted. Please do the same for us. As you um, come up with ideas or hear about needs, you can email us at info at graceroaringfork.com. So let me just close by saying this. There are a whole range of ways that we can love one another and our valley during these weeks. Something, or Sometimes this is going to look like staying away. And sometimes it's going to look like showing up. 
Sometimes it's going to look like prayer from afar, and sometimes it's going to look like groceries on the front doorstep. The micro path is not always obvious and clear, and so we'll continue to seek God's guidance, his discernment on those decisions, but the macro path could not be clearer. It's laid out in bold letters for us across the entire Bible, and it's one word, love. Love the God who loves you more than you, are, you will ever really know. Love one another. Engage. Don't disappear on us. Stay connected. Be present. Reach out. Call each other. Not because this is a unique time when we need spiritual friends in our lives, but because we always need spiritual friends in our lives. And this is the unique time we've been given to begin them and deepen them. And then let's love our valley in creative and redemptive ways together. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for this time together. Um, even though we're not together, we do ask again that you'd unite us in spirit, you'd unite us in mission, and that you would give us opportunities to serve and love those around us. Help us love you, and out of the overflow of the gifts that you've given your people, we could be a gift to those around us. And be with us in the coming days. Protect us, care for us, and lead us. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.